Welcome to Sustainability Bridges, a Eurosif podcast that aims to build bridges between policymakers, investors, academics, and civil society around the theme of sustainable investment. Eurosif, the European Sustainable Investment Forum, is the leading pan-European association promoting sustainable finance and investment at the European level. In these podcasts, Eurosif's executive director invites distinguished guests for a 30-minute conversation on current events shaping the sustainable investment community. Hello, everyone. My name is Alexandra Palinska, and I am the executive director of Eurosif, the European Sustainable Investment Forum. For this episode of Sustainability Bridges, I am honored to be joined by Mr. Alan Jorgensen, who is head of the OECD Center for Responsible Business Conduct. Together, we're going to discuss the OECD guidelines for multinational enterprises on responsible business conduct and the Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive, known as CSDD, which is currently being negotiated by the European Commission, European Parliament and the Council. Dear Alan, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Alexandra. First of all, could you give our listeners a brief introduction to the OECD's work on due diligence and in particular the guideline on multinational enterprises on responsible business conduct? Of course. Thanks, Alexandra. Well, um, first of all, I think it's important to, to say why is responsible business conduct important to the OECD? The OECD member countries and the countries we, many other countries we work with, have um, important sustainability goals and challenges, including uh, on the social uh, side and, and on the climate and environmental side, that are really not achievable unless uh, the private sector is part of the engine room of delivering progress on, on those goals. So the, the fundamental goal of the OECD's work on responsible business conduct, the purpose of our work and standards in that area, is really to help our uh, members and, and, and other governments align business conduct with sustainable development goals and with climate goals. And you mentioned that, of course, one of the key ways we're doing that is is through helping governments and other stakeholders really set uh, internationally agreed standards in in, in that area um, that that governments, businesses and other stakeholders can can refer to in in their work and and in their own initiatives and make use of. And and the key um, standard in, in the OECD is, of course, the OECD guidelines for multinational enterprises on responsible business conduct that were actually updated uh, only in, in June uh, uh, of, of, of this year. So it's very timely. We have this discussion very briefly. The guidelines are recommendations by governments to businesses on responsible business conduct. They are cross-sectoral, so they are also a strong mechanism, you can say, for aligning expectations across different sectors, including the financial sector, but also, of course, the real economy. Um, the guidelines are also holistic. That means they cover the full range of what we would normally associate with ESG issues, both human rights and labor, anti-corruption, environment and, and climate, uh, et, et cetera. They focus on impact, and that's important. Their aim is to align business conduct with sustainable development and climate goals, as, as I mentioned. So responsible business conduct in the OECD definition goes beyond managing risks to the business. They're about really managing impacts of the business. Finally, maybe a few points on implementation. Um, the guidelines have a, a implementation mechanism at the national level. They're called the national contact points for responsible business conduct. And they really um, serve as a kind of non-judicial grievance mechanism um, when issues come up regarding companies upholding uh, responsible business conduct in their operations. And 
this this system has has managed uh, several hundred cases over the the past years, and many of those cases actually involve uh, financial sector uh, companies. It's also worth to point out that the OECD guidelines on for multinational enterprises they are uh, fully complementary of and consistent with the other main international standards in this area. And here I'm thinking, of course, about the UN guiding principles, uh, primarily the UN guiding principles on on business and human rights. So uh, all of that just to say that when it comes to responsible business conduct and, and business and human rights, we have actually achieved a, a, a global uh, consensus on what the standards are, uh, which is now also increasingly being applied uh, in, in policymaking uh, in, in various countries. Thank you, Alan. There are also uh, multinational guidelines specific to financial institutions. Can you explain why is it important that financial institutions conduct due diligence through value chain and what are the related opportunities? You're referring, uh, Alexandra, I believe, to some of the specific work the OECD has, has conducted on responsible business conduct in the financial sector. So I mentioned that the uh, OECD guidelines on responsible business conduct are cross-sectoral. Um, we have translated the recommendations of the guidelines into specific guidance for financial service providers in, in work that we have carried out over the years. And here I would highlight really three sort of tailored guidances that the OECD has produced targeting the, the, the principal capital flows to business. So um, we have guidance on responsible business conduct for institutional investors specifically. We have guidance on corporate lending and securities underwriting. Um, and, and the last um, addition to that suite of guidances is, is um, a guidance document on um, project and responsible business conduct in, in the context of project and asset-based um, finance. And these, these guidances really show how financial service providers can prioritize their efforts and focus their screening and engagement uh, activities on those products and services that are likely to have more uh, severe uh, social or environmental impact. So this is what we call the risk-based approach, which is really a fundamental part of our standards that really encourage um, companies to focus their efforts on the most um, significant impacts that they may be involved in through their activities, their, their uh, operations, products and services. So the guidance is really reflect that this is also already happening in practice throughout the sector. Um, the guidances are based on on the practices really of leading financial service providers who who have been carrying out this type of due diligence for a number of years by by screening their portfolios in their stewardship and engagement activities, and not least in also in cooperation with with other financial sector companies. This practice also reflects a, a clear trend that we see. Um, that sustainability issues, as you know, are, are becoming uh, increasingly material from a risk perspective. If we look at, for example, company recording, sorry, if we look at company reporting according to the SASP sustainable industry classification, uh, the, the taxonomy, uh, we see that global, we see that climate change is, is really considered to be a financially material risk by a majority of listed companies across a wide range of, of, of industries. What we also see, however, is that for other ESG factors, such as, for example, biodiversity or human rights, the numbers are much lower. And these factors are only considered financially material by a small minority of companies in a, 
in a relatively narrow set of industries. So for investors to align their portfolios with sustainability goals, it's really important to realize that their due diligence systems should both uh, cover both risks and impacts. And, and this is what the OECD guidelines also um, recommend. If I may, we, we can also take a broader social perspective, uh, societal perspective on this. And we know that private capital will be key to mobilizing the finance needed for sustainable development, include, including um, climate mitigation, adaptation, and, and uh, not least sustainable infrastructure. And these needs will, will run into the single digit trillions of US dollars annually. That sounds like a lot of money, and it is, um, but consider that global bond and equity markets run in the hundreds of trillions, then all of a sudden this looks more doable, and we need to, to shift more of that uh, capital market, as it were, into um, sustainability-aligned um, uh, areas. And we're seeing, of course, tremendous growth in that. The share of listed equities uh, under management um, that are managed according to ESG principles has, has continued to rise for a number of years. But it's perhaps important to understand that there are um, a plethora of practices reflected in, in, that, um, in that pattern. We still see quite a large share of, of these practices um, uh, being sort of exclusionary or controversy-based strategies uh, by financial service providers. But to really bridge the sustainable finance gap, we need to go beyond um, these types of practices and approaches that rely on, on, on full ESG integration and alignment really of finance with sustainability goals, such as what we're seeing in, in the area, for example, of, of net zero transition plans on the climate side. Um, so from a financial markets perspective, this kind of alignment is exactly what responsible business conduct is, is supposed to achieve. Thank you, Alan, for sharing these very uh, insightful points. Moving on to the EU Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive, which is currently in its final stage of negotiations between the European Commission, the European Parliament and the Council. Could you share with our listeners your views on whether and if so, why it is important to have due diligence obligations at the European level? Well, generally coordinated approaches at the international level, in this case at the European level, will be more effective and impactful than action at the national level. It, it helps level the playing field and, and reduce complexity. We know that, for example, in the financial sector, regulatory divergences uh, are estimated to cost the sector uh, between 5 and 10% of annual global turnover. It can be equally important for countries that may or may not have a plan to induce this type of, of, of regulation or specific policies on due diligence because their businesses through supply chains, through financial markets, will increasingly feel the effects uh, of uh, due diligence policies introduced by their trading partners and, and, and their financial uh, counterparts in, in other countries. So a multiplication of national due diligence requirements, which may or may not be aligned and coordinated, could result in a cascading uh, effect and, and create sort of overlapping and confusion confusion uh, among um, among the different expectations. Uh, so this is something that, that generally international cooperation and, and introducing internationally agreed standards uh, at, at a regional level can help to, to avoid. At the same time, we're also seeing with the growth of these practices a need for both greater consistency and, and credibility of sustainability 
practices in, in both the real economy and the financial sector. For example, it's it's very positive that a growing number of the world's largest companies and financial institutions are making commitments around achieving net zero um, greenhouse gas emissions. However, what we see is also that many of these pledges and transition plans are really difficult to track and compare. This can create inefficiencies and, and also erode uh, public trust. And there are, of course, as we know, growing concerns over greenwashing. And then in this context, international standards, including at the European level and in other regions, uh, are, are important so that we know what good, good looks like and, and that um, those market participants that implement the standards can really be rewarded for doing so. Thank you. Based on the OECD experience, could you please elaborate on how financial institutions can perform due diligence in a practical and effective manner? I, I mentioned earlier that in the OECD, we have developed um, guidance for um, institutional investors, banks, and, and for project uh, finance, and that this guidance draws on already existing practices by um, financial service providers in those areas um, that have been conducting due diligence on responsible business conduct for, for a number of years. And this practical experience shows that the, the flexibility that is inherent in the OECD standards is really important. And I talked about the risk-based approach as something that really uh, encourages and enables financial institutions to tailor their due diligence process to uh, the most severe and, and likely adverse impacts on people and planet that they may um, be uh, associated with through their, their products and services and their investments, and really to prioritize those issues um, um, where they can make the biggest difference. Um, and the guidance we have produced shows um, practical examples of, of what this means, for example, uh, for example, in relation to screening of investment portfolios to identify general areas where impacts may be more likely or more severe, and, and to use this information as a, as a basis really for more detailed due diligence so that, again, company resources are, are used in the most effective way. In terms of in the European context, many investors uh, are already conducting risk-based due diligence either in whole or in part using the OECD due diligence guidance for responsible business conduct or also in the context of uh, project and asset-based finance um, using, for example, IFC performance uh, standards. Um, it's also maybe worth to point out that there are, there are lots of uh, you know, good resources and case studies out there. The UNPRI, for example, has developed uh, a number of case studies highlighting how their signatories have really integrated OECD um, due diligence standards into their policies and their investment process and their stewardship practices. So the practicalities of this are, are actually rather well understood. And it's, of course, important that policymakers reward the, the front runners and create an enabling policy environment that really lifts all, all the boats according to the, the practices. We already have a number of examples of this uh, in Europe, in the financial sector. For example, the, the 
sustainable finance disclosure regulation requires uh, financial market participants to adopt the due diligence policy, which includes um, a description of the actions they're taking to address uh, adverse impacts, um, including through due diligence. Um, and interestingly, a recent uh, survey actually found that 94% of the ESG label funds under SFDR Articles 8 and 9 are assessing whether their investments align with the uh, OECD guidelines for multinational enterprises, making it the, the, the second most cited indicators. We have other similar examples um, where um, uh, OECD standards have been uh, embedded into, for example, the EU taxonomy regulation, also uh, as part of the European Central Bank guidance for banks in the, in the Union, and of course, um, more recently with the adoption of the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, which, which also requires disclosure of impacts and processes in alignment with, with OECD standards. This is very helpful. Thank you for sharing this, Alan. Indeed, I think the SFDR, the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, has been you know, an important first step, I think, at the European level to further, I would say, advance due diligence performing due diligence by uh, financial institutions. However, it's, it's been recently quite debated in the context of the Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive. And what should be kept in mind is that SFDR is a disclosure-based regulation. And even in, if in some way implicitly uh, it requires only the largest, so those with more than 500 employees, asset managers to perform due diligence. Again, it's a disclosure-based regime, but uh, I also share your view that I think through the consideration of the principal adverse impact indicators, I, I think this already kind of uh, started, I think, a positive trend within the industry. But another point and something you know very important to consider in the context of the scope of the Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive is that SFDR covers only asset management activities. So even though banks and insurance companies for their asset management activities are covered, they are not covered for their traditional lending and insurance activities. And, and hence, EUROSIF, together with other voices from the responsible investment landscape, including PRI, IGCC, has been advocating actually for an appropriate inclusion of the financial sector in the scope of this directive. However, again, ensuring that this is done in a way that reflects the specificities of the financial sector. And uh, in this context, we very often refer to the OECD guidelines that you have just elaborated on. Now, maybe just one additional uh, technical question. Uh, in terms of the due diligence requirements, do you think for financial institutions, they should cover both upstream and downstream value chain? Thank you, Alexander. That's uh, it's a great and it's a very important question, not just for the financial sector, uh, but also for other sectors whose primary, say, material impacts are in the, in the um, downstream uh, segment of the value chain. Um, let me start by saying that the OECD standards on responsible business conduct apply to all business relationships, and this includes entities that supply products and services used by your company, and it also applies to entities that buy or use the products that, that and services that you provide. So you can say they apply 
both upstream and, and downstream. They, they do not distinguish between different segments uh, of the supply and value chain uh, or different types of, of business relationships. Our guidance clearly recommend that companies take a risk-based approach, as mentioned, and for some companies, this means that upstream issues primarily will be the priority, typically in manufacturing, for example, and for others, um, it will be downstream issues that are the priority. And the, our guidance, sector-specific guidance on, on the financial sector clearly emphasizes that for financial service providers, the most significant risks are very likely to occur in the downstream segment, i.e. through the, the activities of, of, of um, the companies and investees and their portfolios. Downstream due diligence should again be informed by the risk-based approach and will, will naturally have to be adapted to the ability of a financial enterprise to apply leverage. Um, and this is something that we also discussed in the recent update of the guidelines, which was uh, released in, in June of this year. And in this respect, the guidelines now more clearly recognize that in some situations, once a service is rendered or a product is sold or resold, enterprises and also financial enterprises may have um, a diminished ability, ability to, to really um, monitor um, their impacts uh, and, and um, exercise leverage uh, over those uh, impacts. And in, in those situations, of course, making efforts upfront and prior to a transaction to identify the actual and potential impacts and risks and then take appropriate preventive actions uh, will be particularly important. So that means sort of prior to the, the point of sale or, or, or the rendering of, of the service. Again, policymakers have freedom of method in terms of how they translate that into law. We have a, a number of examples of laws that address either primarily upstream uh, risks such as, for example, in the minerals area um, and, and other uh, laws that address primarily downstream risks. And here we could, for example, mention uh, export control regulation. Again, what we want to avoid are laws that force companies to spend resources on compliance in relation to risks that are really not uh, significant uh, for them. So the financial sector uh, for the financial sector, we, we generally want them to focus on the impacts uh, of their investments uh, and their financial services, rather than, for example, where they, they buy their office supplies. Legal liability has been among the controversial topics making the negotiations even more difficult. Do you think corporate directors should be responsible for the key provisions in this directive, in particular ensuring due diligence is effectively performed? That's a very very important question. Um, the the guidance that the OECD has has developed on due diligence um, clearly recommends and acknowledges that responsible business conduct is most effectively uh, integrated into company operations when it is also subject to uh, board level oversight uh, and including, of course, policies that are signed off at the highest level of, of the company. Um, perhaps in that context, I can also mention um, that the recently revised G20 OECD principles of corporate governance, they also um, uh, now have a brand new chapter on sustainability um, and they underline that that boards, uh, boards uh, should oversee the management of sustainability risks to the business. 
And they also emphasized that executive and board remuneration should be aligned with the longer term interests of the company and the shareholders. And this, of course, may include linking uh, remuneration to, to metrics on various material sustainability matters. And indeed, there are many ways to do this. In practice, what we find is that an increasing number of companies report that sustainability issues are overseen by the board, for example, through a, a risk committee or a dedicated sustainability committee. And this is particularly prevalent in very large companies. And we see the same trend when it comes to executive compensation. So I think what we're seeing play out in practice is that this is becoming a board level issue. And, and of course, that reflects that, that this is, uh, of course, Im important to really drive this in, in a corporate setting. Thank you, Alan. These are indeed very important considerations. And, and I think some people forget that uh, originally this was supposed to be a directive on sustainable corporate governance, putting sustainability considerations front and center of uh, corporate strategies and indeed making sure that sustainability risks as well as any adverse impacts on the environment or society should be considered within the boardrooms. And uh, in, in a way here in this context, I think some of the elements in the CSDD are an important remain of uh, those original proposals. And I think uh, you're making a very important point. This is um, something that is important to retain. If you had to choose, what would be your one final main recommendation to the European institutions that are finalizing their negotiations on this very important piece of European legislation? And what would be your one final key message to the financial institutions? Thanks, Alexandra. That's a, it's a big question. The, the OECD recently adopted a new recommendation on the role of governments in promoting responsible business conduct. So you, you will know that the OECD guidelines for multinational enterprises are really recommendations by governments to businesses. So the new recommendation is significant in that it deals with how public policy um, and actions by governments can really build an enabling environment for responsible business conduct. And as part of that recommendation, OECD governments are now committed to establishing and enforcing a legal and regulatory environment to enable responsible business conduct. And this can, of course, mean a variety of things. And, and governments have really freedom of method in terms of how they do that. But an important part of this recommendation is also that the OECD governments have underlined that when governments um, introduce policy initiatives, and regulatory initiatives relating to responsible business conduct, these initiatives should be uh, really aligned with internationally agreed standards, uh, such as the OECD guidelines for multinational enterprises. And this really means, I can end on this point, Alexander, this really means three things. Um, first, taking care not to depart from these agreed standards and principles, and then unless there is a really good reason to do so. Secondly, the importance of cooperating at the international level to ensure interoperability of different initiatives and regulations. And, and thirdly, to realize that we may not be able to get this right in the first go. So evaluating the uptake and impact of these policies over time will be a very, very important part of, of, of the process. Concretely, the OSD has been tasked by our members to uh, facilitate this type of cooperation 
both within the OECD and, and also um, with interest rate countries beyond the OECD. And it would really be my parting plea to all countries and all stakeholders to engage in this type of cooperation because our, our world definitely needs it. Thank you. I think indeed it's a very important uh, message and uh, hopefully the forthcoming uh, COP28 in Dubai can be also um, a good event to discuss some of this, these aspects and, and actually how to better promote environmental and human rights due diligence at international level and advance its uh, implementation throughout the world. Thank you very much, Alan, for joining us today and for this insightful conversation. My pleasure, Alexander. Thank you.